I'm really glad to be here. Uh, the Lord's so confirmed what's on my heart, so I pray you listen up. Whenever God does that, it's really Him. And so it's a real, I trust a word from heaven, from His heart. So uh, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to, um, is that going to work, Mike, if I do that? Or should we forget about it? Uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. That's an inside thing between Mike and I, That your sound guy. If you want to go to Psalm 118, Psalm 118, uh, verse 24. Psalm 118, verse 24. <clears throat> Psalm 118, verse 24 says this. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you have heard that verse before? I started out leading worship back in the early 70s. And there was a song we used to sing in the 70s based on that verse. It was a light song. It was kind of a chirpy song. Uh, a little bit up-tempo. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made, we will rejoice. Remember that song? And a lot of times that verse will be used uh, Sunday morning. Pastor will open up the service. Hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And again, it comes off as cheerleady, uh, up-tempo, a bit chirpy. It's a Bible verse, and I've been in conferences, the same verse has been used. Nothing could be further from the truth of that verse. It's not light. It's not chirpy. It's incredibly heavy. It's an unbelievable day that we're going to talk about. It was incredibly dark. In many ways, tragic. And also glorious. And unbelievable. So you have to look at the context. We can't just... Pull the verse out of the psalm. We've got to look at the framework of the verse. So let's start reading with verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Now, ultimately, the gate is a person who has a name. We know him as Jesus Christ. All right. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me. Let me just stop there briefly. That day is tied to that gate. What happens that day opens that gate. If that day doesn't happen, that gate remains closed. So we're going to rejoice in that day. And if I do my job, you will never be the same concerning that day. Because that day is the centerpiece of eternity. Without that day, I'm not here. Without that day, I go to hell. Without that day, I'm hopeless. How about if we just agree right now before we get into it, let's rejoice in that day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And so, let's just keep reading here. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, 
and thou hast become my salvation. Now notice, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So here you have this concept of builders who reject Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Why? Because they want to keep building. They want to do their religious thing. They want to live their life. They want to do their thing. They want to deal with their problems. They want to solve their issues. They want to do it pretty much self-centered, self-motivated. So the builders say no to the cornerstone, who's actually the most important cornerstone to the building that God's actually building. So there's two building programs in the Bible. One will take you to hell. The other one will take you to heaven. The satanic building program started in Genesis 11 where guys said, let's build a tower that will reach heaven, but it started with them. It was a man-made idea. It was rooted in pride and arrogance. It was religious, and it was man's self-effort trying to reach to heaven. Builders is the thread throughout the Old and New Testament. Builders rejecting cornerstones. So if Jesus says in a parable, quickly, it, you don't have to turn there. It's in Mark chapter 10. You can read it later. He's telling a story about a vineyard, and the owner of the vineyard sends a number of servants to try to reach out to the people. They all say no. They kill the servants. Finally, he says, well, I'll send my son. They will listen to him. Come, let us kill the son. Reject the cornerstone because we want to keep building. We want to keep doing our own thing. Brian, that's an excellent song. God's not after part of your heart this morning, child of God. Hey, I'm not mad. I'm fired up. Amen. <laughs> There's nothing partial here about the gospel. There's nothing halfway in the gospel. Father, look down on the condition of mankind. It's hopeless. It's an absolute disaster. Adam and Eve blew it. Sin has entered the human race. Your forefathers sinned. You sinned. You got a sin nature problem. You got a problem with sins. And you got a nature problem that's a factory producing sins. And so Father looks to the Son. Will you go? Will you go? Will you leave glory? Will you humble yourself into the very womb of a woman? Will you be conceived by the Spirit? Will you grow up? In favor with God and man? Will you live a hidden life for 30 years? Will you go, son, and it'll all culminate in a week? We know it is Passion Week. It'll all culminate in a week. And the son looked at the father and said, I'm all in. You know how Texas Hold'em works. Your back's up against the wall. You have no other answer. You have no other step. You have no other solution. Well, this is the greatest scenario of all eternity. There is no other option. There is no other remedy. Father, I'm all in. Here's what I believe, church. Jesus Christ deserves followers that are all in. Spirit, soul, and body. So the builder said no to Christ, and they actually rejoice 
when he dies that day. Later on, Peter says in uh, Hebrews 4, verse 11, when he addresses the builders, he says, you builders, and then he quotes Psalm 118, verse uh, 22, 3, and 4, you builders, you reject the cornerstone. You're not getting it. You keep rejecting the cornerstone. The builders tried to wipe out the first church. Paul was a builder at a time in his life. Then he gets born again and gets into the building that God is building. And now he becomes an advocate of heaven. So God's response to builders is the day. The framework of the day. See, most of the Bible, much of the Bible is God's response to our issues. So Adam and Eve sin, and what happens when they sin? You remember Luke? They die, right? They die and they are aware that they are naked. See, before they sin, they were surrounded by glory. They were almost like living in a glory cloud. When they sinned, a breach happens with heaven. They recognize they are naked So now they try to solve their naked, sinful condition by doing what? Sow fig leaves and make coverings for their naked sin condition. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday in the church calendar. It's entry Sunday for Jesus for a week. It culminates with the resurrection. But right in the middle is the most important day in the history of the universe. The day. God's response to sin, God's response to the results of sin is not fig leaves, but a day. And so I'm reading that and I'm reading Passion Week, and I love Passion Week, you should, and we should read it a lot. And I'm saying, on Monday of Passion Week, Jesus walks by a fig tree, and what does he do? Have you ever noticed? What does he do, Glenn? He curses the fig tree. And it's amazing because it wasn't the time for figs to be produced in the first place, but he curses the fig tree. Why? Almost like it reminds him of something. Almost that it would stir up within him, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. This is why I have to set up that day. This is why I have to have the day that takes place. Because fig leaves, religious cover-up, can never deal with the sin problem And so even in the book of Genesis, before Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, God has to have death, shedding of blood, and provides for them skins, a precursor to Calvary. This is the day that the Lord has made. Now, I'm looking at that, and uh, I'm going to honor our time thing, because there are actually seven days that the Lord has made, that you want to enter into all seven, but this is the most important one. This is foundational. Without this first day, all the other days are meaningless. All the other days actually don't even happen. This is the day that the Lord has made. So I've been thinking about that day recently, 
It's actually rooted and grounded in the love of God. It's rooted and grounded in the heart of God. That day is actually something that started in the heart of God before the world was even created. It started before you were even born. That day was in the heart of God because he's the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. That day is very much deeply rooted in God, not man. Only God could make that day. Only God can release that day. Now the day actually begins in the nighttime, in a garden. And it's getting pretty heavy. He asks his disciples, please pray. As the weight of mankind's sin begins to settle in with all the guilt, all the condemnation, all the filth, all the heaviness. And so the Son of Man begins to come under that burden. At one point he prays, Father, is it possible to abort this mission? Is there another way? Do I have to drink the cup, Son? There is no other way. Father, I'm all in. Agree with me right now, child of God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just say it. Thank you, Jesus. You are all in. You're all in. The Bible says as the pressure began to weigh in and his disciples are sleeping, incapable of staying awake to even assist him in a little bit of support, that he begins to sweat blood. Say, well, that's not really true. Yes, it is absolutely true. I've done a lot of research on what happened that day just physically. We, were, we would be stunned. We would be shocked. If we really contemplated, we'd all be in tears. The Roman way of crucifixion, probably the most painful way of death known that man has invented. And what happened, saints, was the pressure and the agony was so intense, his capillaries in his head broke and was mingled with sweat. So he began to sweat, as it were, drops of blood the night wears on shortly lights come a band of men come not quite sure who's who judas is there and he points out there he is goes up and gives him a kiss judas he's arrested he's bound and he's let off he first goes to the religious system to the builders and their self-righteousness is infuriated because of his claims. During that scene in the courtroom of the religious system, he's blindfolded. He is struck. Half his beard is ripped off. Mockingly. Who struck you, Christ? Prophesy. And... He stands there and is asked a question by the high priest, Are you the one? I am. That's what got him killed. High priest tore his garments and delivers them over to Pilate. And it's good for us to remember, I so appreciate communion today. I so appreciate remembering the day. We're going to rejoice with all the atoms of our being. 
And the greatest way you can rejoice in the day that the Lord has made today is to surrender everything you are, you hope to be, and ever will become, spirit, soul, and body. He was all in. He will not relent until he has it all, Chuck Porta. Hallelujah. And that prophecy lined up. There is no other avenue. There is no other source of life. So he stands before Pilate. Pilate's a confused guy. His wife had a very troubling dream. That's a righteous man, Pilate. I was very troubled by what's unfolding here. Pilate sends him to Herod. First the religious system, then Pilate, then Herod. Herod would represent the carnality. He would represent political stuff. He would represent like a king, and he was a gross guy. He, he loved to sin. He loved to sin. He loved to party. He just pictures totally opposite of self-righteousness. He operates self-unleashed, self-totally feeding self. But he's intrigued by Christ, so he's hoping for a miracle. He would like to hear a prophecy. They end up mocking. They end up striking. They put a bogus robe on him and dismiss him and send him back to Pilate. Pilate stands before the religious system. I don't find anything wrong with this guy. I'm going to release him. What has he done? He doesn't anticipate the hatred of the builders who are rejecting the cornerstone, who are vehement in their passion to kill him and remove him because he's upsetting their building plans. May I say this really lovingly, child of God? God wants to come and upset your plans. Say amen or oh my. Amen or oh my. Wow, I can give you a lot of illustrations over 44 years. In my own personal journey, when I slip out of spirit, get into soul, and begin to once again do my building thing, only to have my plans wiped out and wiped away. Hallelujah. I love Jesus Christ today. I started preaching over 40 years ago. I had 10 answers. I was so full of pride and arrogance and all kind of foolishness. Now I got 10 questions. I don't have 10 answers. I got 10 questions. But you know what? I love him more. I love him more. January 19, my mother had a stroke. January 26, my mother went to heaven. We had a service for her 50 years after the day my dad died. My mom was a widow at 40. My dad died at 42. 50 years later, she dies at 90. And she took us three boys, two boys and a girl, and gave us to God and entrusted us to Jesus Christ. And based upon that day that he already had established, and she says, you got to guard them. you got to watch over my kids. I have no clue what I'm about to do. And I'm telling you right now, this day, 50-plus years later, my brother and I have been in ministry for 72 years combined. My sister's 
taught school for 37 years, hundreds, hopefully thousands of lives impacted because of one simple little prayer of surrender, but rooted and grounded in the heart of God, rooted and grounded in the love of God, and rooted and grounded in a day which the Lord has made, so I'm going to rejoice in it. And the last breath she took, because she couldn't talk after that stroke very well, every once in a while God would give a little love gesture. My daughter, unmarried, had a FaceTime with grandma, and grandma said, wedding bells. That was clear, and then the last words out of her mouth in clarity were a repeat of a verse from a very precious song. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. My mother took 800 million breaths in her 90-year journey. And out of the confession of her mouth, the last known phrase, when I come to die, give me Jesus. That's what that day provided, Luke. She's in heaven. Hello. She looks about 33 right now as we speak. Because you all get a rewind, sister. Say amen. Come on. We're going to look just like him, spirit, soul, and body. So I love that day. But Pilate says, I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to release them. Give us Barabbas, that murdering thief. You know what? Chuck's Barabbas. That's the point. He's the substitute. He took the hit. He took your hit. He embraced your penalty. He took your place. Pilate turns him over to his soldiers who themselves are sick, maybe half drunk, party night. And they mock him and they say, scourge him. Ooh, now it gets heavy. Because you're stripped to the waist, tied to a pillar. You got a special device called a cat of nine tails, which is a whip with leather straps with nail, broken glass, tin, and your back 39 times will be ravaged with that leather whip. And they were skilled at doing it. They were specially trained to carry out crucifixion. They could bring you to an inch of your life. And they would begin to rip and rake across that back. Tendons are uh, cut. Muscle is torn. Nerves are hit. Electric, fiery pain begins to go through your body. That's just the scourge. That's just for physical healing. What a day. They weave a crown of thorns. They were about two and a half to three inches long, incredibly sharp. And they beat them into his skull. Then they put a robe over him for a while, mockingly bowing down, declaring him to be the king. And then they rip that robe off, which reopens all the bleeding carry your cross, and he carries it as far as he can, and then Simon, the black man actually, carries it the rest of the way. He ends up on top of a hill about 9 o'clock in the morning. They have special nails, pretty long actually, thin, and the Roman soldiers knew exactly where to place that nail. It's not in the palms, it's in the wrists, in between the bones, 
and it touches the ulnar nerve. We have no idea the pain that nerve sends when that nail rubs against that nerve. Both wrists, feet are placed on top of one another, and the nail is perfectly placed. He's placed on the cross. Please dismiss the Renaissance art of Calvary. He is naked, mocked, vilified, spit at. Fists are raised by the builders. If you are the Christ, come down. Then maybe we'll believe. And he starts six hours that day on that cross. His legs are in a 45 degree angle and within 50 minutes begin to spasm. They will spasm off and on with incredible pain. You think a basketball player has leg cramps, you have no idea leg cramps on a cross. You're in an awkward, twisted, contorted posture for six hours. Psalm 22 is very clear. Church, every bone is out of joint. What does that mean? Shoulders come out of socket. Elbows out of socket. Wrists dislocated. Every bone. And then he begins to speak. Interspersed with the physical suffering of that day, words are released. The first one is, as he presses down on his feet, see what he has to do normally with Calvary or with crucifixion, you die of suffocation. Weakness, suffocation, and, and, and so you're there. And in order to speak and get enough breath in your lungs, you have to bear down on your feet, which sends incredible pain through your entire body, and then, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'll tell you what, I rejoice in that day. It's getting darker. And at midnight, it's really dark. Almost black like midnight, or at noon, excuse me. And as the day unfolds, his heart begins to get heavy, begins to fill with fluid. He says other words to a thief, to his mother who's beside herself, as any mother would. He's forsaken, he's, he's thirsty, and then the final word is the most three glorious words ever spoken. It is finished. Say, thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad he didn't abort? You know, I think he could, in fact, there's a song that we used to sing around Passion Week. I remember Doug Oldham used to sing it. It would send chills down your spine. He could have called 10,000 angels. I think there were 10,000 angels or more with their swords half drawn with the fury of the jealousy of God in their eyes, and they would have wiped out the whole mob with one word from Christ. But he didn't speak to them. He didn't speak to him because he had to say, it is finished. The veil is rent. Somebody say amen. 
The veil is rent from top to bottom. In other words, the door's open, the gate is open, the way is back to Father's heart, the way of forgiveness has been established. He then, as high priest, took his blood during those three days, went into heaven, presented his blood into the very courtroom of heaven in the Holy of Holies, and my fine and your fine, and everybody's fine really, is paid in full. Wow, the penalty of my sin totally wiped away, which paves the way for me to be justified. That's a legal term. That means in the eyes of the judge, I'm innocent. I'm just as if I had never sinned. That's why I rejoice in that day. And then, as high priest, he goes into the prison, preaches to prisoners in paradise, and after his blood is shed and the cross is doing his work, he has this unbelievable, glorious, all-encompassing, powerful resurrection. Tombs are opened up. He leads captivity captive to heaven itself. He sits down at the right hand of his father, Begins his ministry as high priest, your elder brother. He is there praying for you as your advocate. And it all is a result of that day. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in that day. Wow. It's rooted and grounded in the heart of God. If you want to just write a scripture down, or it's going to be on tape, Colossians 2. That day the enemy was disarmed. That day, my personal certificate of debt was wiped away. It was actually nailed to the cross with him. And even uh, so powerfully precious is Glenn Larson died that day. Isn't that amazing, Glenn? Chuck Porter died that day. This is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to offer up to God some pathetic self-made fig leaves to deal with my sin issue? Are you kidding me? You understand why God says, I hate your religious festivals, your new moons, your Sabbaths, your rules keeping, your laws, your performance. doesn't impress me at all. So what I've learned is I stop performing in order to enter into his performance that day. And Paul with his converts would say, I, on, I, I not only want you to see what happened to Jesus that day. Luke, you got to see what happened to Luke that day. Amen. Luke died. That's your foundation for freedom and victory. Romans 6, Colossians 2. That's why I rejoice in that day because that day gets me righteous. Amen. That day gets myself under control. And that day prepares me for a future judgment seat of Christ of which every person in this room will stand before Jesus Christ. Either saved or lost, you will stand before him. If you're saved, you'll go to heaven. If you're lost, you will go to hell. There is no other option. Unless you enter into that day, you're on your own. I'm not trying to be mad here. This is just reality. It costs the Father 
too much. So this silliness and foolishness you will hear in end times deception, how roads lead to heaven, Jesus is just one name among other names, whether it's Mohammed or Buddha or Confucius, hey church, new age silliness, cosmic Christ, false Christ out of Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, Christian science, all those Christ will take you to hell. They're false. There's only one Christ. And there's only one name that will get you to heaven. Paul hated the name of Jesus Christ. For Paul, before salvation, the name of Christ was a blasphemous name. He dared to declare he was God. He can't be Messiah because he died on a tree, meaning he's cursed and Messiah is blessed. He can't be Messiah. Paul could not get past that because he was blinded, as all religious people are. But when he gets born again, then he will say, at that name, every knee will bow. And there is no other name. I have relatives and say, you, you're so exclusive. You're so narrow. Hey, get a life. Don't get upset that there's only one way. Be thankful there is a way. Amen. Father didn't have to send the Son. The Son didn't have to come. He could have let us all go to hell. But he said, Father, I'm all in. I'm all in. Praise God. We're, well, that's day one. And we're, <laughs> wow. I'll have to come back and do the other six days. Unbelievable. Where did the time go? Somebody's messing with the clock, aren't they? Can we rejoice in that day? Child of God, the only reason you're here is because of that day. That day. That day. That day. Uh, let me give you maybe one or two quickly, and we won't obviously comment a whole lot on them, but there's another day that the Lord has made. It's the day of your new birth. You didn't make that day. You didn't find Christ. He wasn't lost. Amen. Let me tell you about the day that is the, what the Bible calls the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Do you remember the day? I got a date for mine. Do you have a date? April 14, 1970. But you know what the day of your new birth is? That's when you got arrested by heaven. You were actually set apart from your mother's womb, and you were actually selected unto adoption by Father God before the world was even created. That's the day of your salvation that the Lord has made. Nobody comes to the Father unless drawn by the Father. Oh, I thank God for the day he made for my personal salvation. Praise God. Well, I see the other days are uh, the day of Sabbath rest, uh, the day of visitation. The day of Pentecost. Hey, church, you want to enter into the day of your personal Pentecost. There is no fulfilling of the call of God and the fullness of God in your life without the fullness of the Spirit. 
Don't kid. Let, please. I'm, you know, I'm not. I, I'm, I love you guys. What, what do I know? I'm just saying I need the Spirit of God. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. The day of Pentecost was the day the Lord made. The day of the Sabbath rest, Hebrews 4, is the day the Lord has made. The day of visitation, John 2, is the day the Lord has made. The day of your new birth experience is the day the Lord has made. Uh, the day of uh, daily bread. Uh, give us this day our daily bread where God feeds your soul with fresh now words from heaven. That's a day the Lord has made. And the last awesome day is called the day of the Lord, his second coming, perfect justice. That's the day the Lord has made. It's being made as I speak. It's unfolding as I speak. And so you want to be rooted and grounded in the day of Calvary to prepare you for the day of justice. Amen. There are seven days. It's his holy week. Hallelujah. Hey, you're good listeners. I did it. Unbelievable. There is a God in heaven, and I love him so. I need him so. This Easter season, you know, go buy the new outfit if you want and have the nice ham meal. That's cool. Do the traditional stuff. But take at least one night, read and reread Passion Week in the four Gospels, and ask the Holy Spirit to do this. Lord, open up the eyes of my heart so that I may see. In order that, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will forever rejoice in it. Amen. Hallelujah.